Welcome back to another episode of What You Don't Know Yet. I'm Margaret Lytle. And I'm Glenetta Krauss. On this week's episode, we will be talking about navigating the office politics of a school. I really wish somebody had told me about this. Yeah. It's very awkward when you're a first-year teacher. Still learning. Still learning. Still learning. Yeah. At the end of this episode, you will be able to understand that a school is more than just a classroom. We're all there to support students, and we all do it in different ways. We also want you to feel comfortable navigating relationships among all staff members, not just other teachers. Mm -hmm. So we'll get started with our do now. Glenetta, who do you think has the most important job in the school? School secretary. Why? I think a school secretary keeps everything going. She keeps administration on task so that they can keep the staff on task. They are responsible for communicating things out. They are the face of the school. Anybody that stops into the school talks to the secretary. So their job is the most important. Yeah. Um, I would have to say it's the custodians. Why? I think you can't have a safe, positive learning environment. If it's not clean, you know? Yeah. Um, even when, like toward the end of the year, when my room is a disaster because I've made it a disaster, <laughs> I feel like I have a harder time concentrating. The kids have a harder time concentrating. But I think that they value education more if they can take pride in the way that the building looks. Yeah. It does communicate immediately. A school that is clean, shiny, smells good, nothing on the floors, communicates this school, this staff knows what they're doing, and if something's messy or sloppy or, you know, there's trash blowing out of the trash can or something, it just looks like you don't care about the kids' education, and it's kind of psychological, but it's very important. I had a really hard time understanding that for a while, because during my first couple of years in the first school that I was at, I feel like all of my tables, like the leg was always broken like one would be way shorter than the other and I couldn't figure out how to get it down and I was lazy about letting the custodians know and so I would just take a textbook and like stack a bunch of textbooks <laughs> underneath that leg to keep the table even and my principal would come in and say oh gosh we can't have this this yeah. looks really bad and I was like I don't know, it's like works. Um, so I didn't really appreciate that until I was like, oh, this does look really bad. I don't use this textbook, but I'm treating this textbook as trash, basically. <laughs> and so maybe my students see that and they're like, oh, I can, I can treat my books this way. Yeah. All right, so let's get into our lesson. Who makes up a school besides the teachers? I think most obviously are the people we've mentioned so far, the uh, custodial staff and the secretarial staff. There are also lots of professionals who are not in the classroom, so people like the psychologist and the speech therapist that you may or may not even run into in your working day. There are a lot of people who work outside your school. You know, we we are a big enough district that we have a public relations department, so they want to help us get the good word out about yeah. the schools. The testing people, the the people who deliver the mail to and from our school. They, the people who reset your password when you forget it and you're trying to take attendance. <laughs> yeah, all those computer techs. Oh my gosh, are they the unsung heroes of the yeah. school or not? Oh my gosh. Security guards. If you want to know something about a kid, you should ask your security guard, definitely. Hey, because yes. they see them in all kinds of different 
areas of the school, you know, what a kid shows you in the classroom might be totally different from what he's doing in the lunchroom or in the hallway. And our cafeteria workers too. Like I've had students come to me and talk about their conversations with cafeteria workers who I've never met. I never get on to the cafeteria. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so sweet that yeah. you are talking to them. But um, you know them, yeah. Yeah. You know, my my mom is cafeteria lady. She knows her kids. It is crazy. And she knows her teachers because they do use the cafeteria mm, a lot. Mm-hmm. By the way, their cafeteria is great because A, my mother cooks there, and B, yeah. they have a lot of restaurant stuff. You know, if if there was a Pizza Hut day and a Taco Bell day and a Kentucky Fried Chicken day at our school, I would probably eat in our cafeteria I quite would a bit. I would too. Our school district, if you're listening. <laughs> By the way, I, I think the cafeteria workers, people don't realize... They are really trying to make good food really fast and turn it around fast. And I know that if our teenagers don't eat, they are hungry and distracted Mm. all the rest of the day. If the cafeteria can turn out some good food that's attractive to the kids, it does help your classroom management, really. (laughs) And I don't think we mentioned principals, but... Oh, yeah, the principals do have a job. You should definitely get to know them and understand Mm -hmm. them. And not just because they're doing your evaluation or anything like that, but also because they can really help you. Yeah. And uh, most of them, I would say more than 95% of them, went into uh, that area of the profession because they do want to help you. Mm -hmm. So, Glenetta... What advice do you have for navigating all of those different relationships? I think most importantly, like we've said a couple times now, everybody in that building is working to support education. Everybody in there is trying to help you and support you. And I think because schools are hierarchical, you know, the the students at the bottom and then the teacher and then the principal, we sometimes think that maybe custodial staff or secretarial staff is somewhere lower than Mm -hmm. us Mm -hmm. on the hierarchy and that they are working for me instead of working for the students like we all are. I, I think I've been more successful once I realized that we are all trying to do the same We are all trying to help these kids be the best people that they can be. And we're doing it by fixing the air conditioning and making sure that everybody has a password to their computer and all that kind of stuff. And that we're all on the same team. And our kids might not ever see the air conditioning guy, but if you run into him, it pays to be polite Mm because he's part of your team. And he's helping you make things better for your kids. Yeah. And I think... Recognizing that, yes, our job as teachers is incredibly important, but we need to have empathy for the other jobs. Um, I always think about whenever I call down to the office Mm -hmm. for something and the secretary might give me a short response, it's not that he or she is mad at me for calling. It's probably because he or she has 15 other people on the line we have how many teachers at our school? 75 to 100. Yeah. So if I'm having a problem, five other teachers could be having a similar problem that our secretary is trying to troubleshoot. So yeah, so just recognizing that other people are busy too. We might feel like I need to know the answer to this question right away. 
but maybe you don't have to call and say, I need, I need a security guard right now, or I need a custodian right now, or I need a secretary right now. Maybe it's something that could be sent in an email. Yeah, so there's 75-ish uh, teachers at our school. There are two people whose real job is secretarial stuff. So really, there are two people carrying those uh jobs for us and they serve the principals and they serve the students and they're making calls home for sick kids and they're doing all this stuff so there's a a lot of stuff you don't see i would really advise you to sit in the office one of your planning bells and just find a table or a desk that's out of the way and just see what goes on there they're doing a lot of stuff and just the interactions they have with so many different people. They're dealing with a lot. And I am surprised it runs as well as it does with yeah. such a small staff. A friend of mine, who is also a teacher, he said that the four phrases that will probably get you the furthest in your life are, please, thank you, excuse me, and I'm sorry. Oof. A lot of times, you know, you run into the office, you got to get your mail, you got to sign in, you got to pick up this stack of bus passes, and you got to get out of there. But it would be just be really nice to say, hello, how you doing? Thanks for getting all this stuff together for us. And it takes no time at all. Yeah, I was recently in the office with another teacher and I said hi to our secretaries and the other teacher didn't say anything and the one secretary is the best moment I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. The one secretary was like you could at least say hi <laughs> and he like kind of turned around and he was like what? And the secretary was like it's just common courtesy you see me like Miss Lytle said hi you could say hi and I was just like that is so true like I wonder how many people go through the office without making eye contact or without saying hi. And they're just like, I need to get from point A to point B. I need to get up into my room. I need to sign in, pick up stuff from my mailbox. And they're just like so focused on the next step that they don't like, oh, there are actually humans right here that are doing a really important (laughs) job. So yeah, just like, hello, how's it going? I worked with the greatest secretary of all time. Her name is Mary Cobb and she worked at a school where I taught. So their secretaries were assigned by program. So a lot of people felt like the secretary worked for the program facilitator. However, our program facilitator made it very clear that she does not have a secretary. The program had a secretary. Mm. So Mary worked for the kids, and Mary worked for us, and Mary worked for the program facilitator. And Mary was often invited to come to our program meetings and let us know something. And definitely, you know, every sick kid or every kid who's tardy, every kid who's truant, she knows a lot about their families because she had to make the phone calls about absences or suspensions. And she can recognize the voice of the mom versus the kid impersonating the mom you know that's a really good skill (laughs) so there is just a wealth of knowledge and data that I don't think we always tap with our other staff if we asked our custodians could probably tell us the places where kids hide when they're skipping because there's more trash there you know stuff like that there's so much information there that we're not accessing because 
Perhaps we think we're above that, or we think we are their boss, which we are not. So I, I just think, you know, please, thank you, excuse me, I'm sorry, hello, will get you pretty far in your office politics. And one last thing I want to add to that is trying to solve as many problems on your own before you involve somebody else. Let's say you have a question about your grade book. Something's not right. You could call your secretary and say, hey, I'm having this problem. What should I do? And she might direct you to the IT department at your district. To save her that time, you could send an email. If you've got a problem kid who is just like chronically disruptive, don't call for security to have him escort that kid to the principal. If you try to have somebody else solve your problems too often, when a real problem happens, you might not get the response that you need because you've kind of done the whole boy who cried wolf scenario. So if you want to be taken seriously and you want to be seen as a capable teacher, I think you need to show some sort of quality of, I can do this, I can do this myself. And so when you do actually have a problem, people are going to take you seriously. Yeah. When I was first starting out, I thought that teachers handled education and principals handled discipline. Mm -hmm. The truth is you need to handle the discipline in your classroom, that there are some things that should go to the principal. I probably involved the principal pretty regularly early on. Later in my career, I try to solve those problems between me and the kid or me and the parent and the kid. And uh, I really don't need to call security or the principal a lot to handle those kinds of problems. It makes me a better teacher because I'm building better relationships with the kids. You know, I, I can give you a thousand examples where I could have sent something to the principal and instead I just sat down with the kid and maybe the parent and just made a better relationship with that mm -hmm. kid. Also, the principals can honestly only do so much for you. The parents can really make a kid's life miserable if right. they're doing something wrong. And they also trust me better. So if I catch some catch a kid being good, I, I try to make sure that a principal or parent who I've communicated bad stuff with, I'm like, hey, so-and-so improved so much on this. You know, I guess parents are the other important job in this uh, office politics thing. And we'll talk more about how to talk with parents later but mm -hmm. they are part of your team and they're they're really trying to help you make this a good school year for their kid yeah yeah well let's transition to navigating the relationship with other teachers yes we've been talking about lunch how to have lunch with other teachers and I think sometimes having lunch with other teachers in the teacher's lounge can be really stressful because I think we get inundated with all of the negative things that are happening in the school because we're using lunch as a time to debrief from all of those bad things. And so once somebody starts sharing a trial, somebody else shares their trial, it just becomes a cesspool <laughs> of <laughs> negativity. It is and the best way to describe it. Mm. Yeah. It's really draining. I haven't had lunch in a teacher's lunchroom probably since my first year. And so we've kind of made our own little lunch bunch. <laughs> um, but I think also it's really easy when we don't have lunch with other teachers. I think this is one of the greatest failings of teaching is that we don't get 
frequent opportunities to see other people teach. Mm-hmm. And that makes teaching very isolating. And it's very easy to judge other teachers based on what other teachers are saying about them and what the kids are saying about them. So mm-hmm. we can make a judgment about a teacher just based on what a kid has said. If a kid said something about me to another teacher, I'd be like, that's wholly inaccurate. Inaccurate. I'm an English teacher. <laughs> um, so I think it's just really important to also have empathy for the struggles of other teachers, but also set that boundary of we cannot just complain all the time. Our, our teacher's lounge, is, it's a place where people are like, hey, did you have this problem with such and such a kid? And yes, oh, that kid is so surly and unruly and stuff like that. And our lunch bunch consciously made a decision that that's just not what we want to talk about at lunch. Occasionally we'll dip into, hey, do you have a good idea about how to handle this kid or what should I have done in this situation? And most of us are English teachers, so we talk a lot about uh, what our ideas are for English. And mostly Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones and movies and Mm -hmm. Marvel and stuff like that. We try to keep it off that. For a long time, I was, I'm going to skip lunch and I'm just going to let the kids who don't like to go to the cafeteria be in my room. And... That's not a good way to go. Mm-hmm. So instead, I have found a group of like-minded teachers, and we share MySpace for my classroom, not MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it back. <laughs> and we share uh, the classroom just to sit down and eat and talk and just take what really ends up only being a 20-minute break. There's really not a whole lot of other stuff you could do in 20 minutes. You know what I was thinking about, too, when we're talking about office politics and our colleagues? There are pockets of power, and that's another thing to listen for and to figure out and to ask about. Part of office politics is finding out where the power is and... Kind of where you fit in that. And where you fit, yeah. And I don't think I've ever experienced a colleague shutting me down from getting involved in something. If I want to take a role, other teachers are like, yes, please help me. You know, like nobody's going to be like, no, I want to do this by myself. I want more work for myself. You know, we all want to collaborate. And I think like on that collaboration vein, find the teachers on your team who have teached the same students as you and talk to them about ways to collaborate or to um, cross over the curriculum. And they will have really good insights about the kids. And it's good, like we just talked about, like not complaining about the students, but it's also helpful to hear if, like if I'm having a problem with this kid and they're not having that problem, maybe I can say, okay, what are you doing? What have you done to build a relationship with this kid that I have not? And what can I try to fix this problem? So talking to other teachers is incredibly important. It's a thin line. Talking can devolve into complaining unless you're keeping, you're talking, um, try to elevate it into problem solving. Yes. Wow. Is that the whole theme of our episode? If you're going to navigate (laughs) office politics at a school, you need to have a problem solving approach. There you go. 
Case oh. number five for why <laughs> teaching is a science. Teaching is a science. Yeah, we'll debate that later. <laughs> I will win. And you will probably win because you'll have better facts than I will. <laughs> science. Science. I think when you're thinking about how to get along with your colleagues mm. and just kind of get a good reputation as a good member of the team, just think about different ways that you can make your friends' day easier too. So clean up your mess. Take your lunch home at the end of the day out of the staff refrigerator. Don't fill the copier with <laughs> don't fill the copier with just 500 sheets, but reload the copier if you're gonna put one tray of paper in there put all the trays of paper in there if it runs out of toner while you're using it call to replace the toner (laughs) uh organize your desk there are i know are you looking at me i (laughs) i uh, I'm the worst at this. We share our classroom. So during my plan bill, I have to leave my classroom because there will be another teacher teaching a class in that room. And I always think it would be the nicest thing that I could do for that person to clean off the top of my <laughs> desk so that they would would have something. So, you know, do as I say, not as I do. But yeah, Don't try. actually come into my classroom and look at my desk. <laughs> it's bad. You know, another thing I've done is make a little binder that has all the things that a a substitute teacher would need to know in my classroom you know who are the reliable kids the rosters everything that if something happened if I was sucked up onto a alien spaceship during the middle of my class somebody could come in and teach a lesson it might not be the exact lesson I was going to teach you know, Teachers Pay Teachers has some really cute templates for a sub binder. <laughs> and Teachers Pay Teachers, if you want to sponsor this podcast, we wouldn't be opposed. No, we would not. Just all these little things that you can do to make somebody else's life easier. Uh, you know, you'll kind of get a reputation as somebody who's easy to work with, somebody who would be a good member of the team or if you can make things easier on your team leader your department chair your assistant principal your principal and by god the secretarial staff you know you know put your grades in on time don't forget to yeah save yeah yeah just just be aware try to look a week ahead what do i need to do to make things run smoothly in my classroom it's really good advice um should we get to our homework i think yes okay So your homework for this week is to make a list of all of the non-teaching staff at your school and make a point to say thank you for something they've done to help you support students. Oh, I can't wait to do this. This I can do that so much more than I do. When you do that authentically and honestly, a lot of those people who are unsung heroes in the whole thing just love it. You know, we have... uh, a principal right now who does shout outs you know that's the way he starts every meeting is just just shout out the good things that mm-hmm. are going on shout out somebody who helped you and supported you and we quite often shout out the secretarial and custodial staff because yes. they are the unsung heroes of what's going on at our building mm-hmm. so glenetta we're gonna play our audience out with a bit of advice from a principal about navigating office politics excellent Thank you.
We want to welcome Stephen Sipple, who has worked as a principal for 10 plus years. How many years have you Ten been Ten years, yeah. and, and then an assistant principal for three years prior to that. Right. And then you were a teacher prior to that. How long were you a teacher? I was a teacher for five years. We've been talking about office politics. What do you think new teachers need to know about navigating the office politics and understanding the community that makes up a school? Well, I think the most important thing for a new teacher to do is um, have the courage to ask questions. There's a lot, a lot of things that new teachers don't know, and some of that is uh, completely the school's fault, meaning the orientation wasn't uh, good enough or thorough enough. Uh, some of it is the department chair, uh, their fault or team leader's fault, that they didn't share that information. They got too busy and didn't kind of take that new teacher under their wing. Uh, and sometimes it's the teacher's fault. Because mm -hmm. they haven't read the handbook or um, spoken to the t the uh, team leader, and for that reason, they just don't know. Um, but regardless of why, they need to ask questions. Um, everybody expects new teachers to have questions, and so when they don't, it's usually a bad sign that they're kind of winging it on their own and uh, possibly making mistakes. And and even worse. Uh, offending parents or students or fellow staff members. So um, that's the first thing is to ask questions and really to be humble but also direct. Uh, the teacher's got a lot of responsibility and he or she knows it walking in the door. They've got 150 kids or depending on their, their setting, maybe 25 kids if they're in elementary. Um, but these students, these souls are kind of depending on them, and I think they feel the weight of that. And it's a, it's a real thing, so they should absolutely ask for help so that they um, put those kids in the right position. So first, ask questions, be humble but direct. I think thirdly, um, figure out who the leaders in the building are. Yes, department chairs, team leaders are, are leaders. Uh, find out who their evaluator is. Find out the assistant principal or assistant principals, what their responsibilities are as opposed to the principal uh, so that they know who to ask. Um, and that can be something as simple as looking through the handbook. It could be asking for a meeting so you can find these things out. Anytime you have that, um, the, the principal might very well roll his eyes or her eyes when you walk in the door and ask these questions. Nevertheless, what the result is that you know that this person's a go-getter, you know that they're interested mm -hmm. in doing the best job, um, you know that they now know where to go, and what you typically see in that is a future leader, someone who's willing to ask those questions. Being comfortable asking questions, being comfortable looking like the one who doesn't know things because, in fact, you do not know the things. Right. <laughs> it's a great model for the students, too. Yeah. If you are struggling, you should ask for help. I don't know the answer to that, but I will find out and right. then find well, out. Well, and I think, I think it really is important to know the culture of the building because uh, sometimes even a principal may want to ask for help, but know that asking for help from his or her supervisor is a sign of weakness or is a sign of incompetence, is a sign of whatever negative, um, and they don't want that on their evaluation. They don't want to be considered uh, ignorant. Um, or incapable of doing their job. So it is important for the principal to set up a culture in the building where there is this kind of open door, approachable, accessible, um, no stupid questions kind of atmosphere so that uh, that can happen. I do understand that there are some places where that's more difficult just because of the culture that's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think if I were in a situation like that and my school had that negative culture, uh, there are a lot of people who know the answers to those mm -hmm. questions. You know, if I needed to say who's 
who's going to evaluate me, that might be something that another uh, English teacher would know. Or, uh, you know, when I first came to my school, the guy across the hall from me was very helpful in just, hey, who's in charge of this? Who do I call about this? Mm -hmm. uh, and by and large, other teachers want to help you, administrators want to help you, but may not always have time in their day. I think teachers who come at it with an attitude of, I'm learning here, I'm really trying to figure this out, I want to make the best impression, I want to help, uh, they ask questions and, mm -hmm. and everybody enjoys helping them. We talked a little bit on the episode earlier about how sometimes if you're always having somebody else solve your problem, that can kind of give you a bad reputation within that school. Do you have any thoughts on that? It would be my expectation as a principal or evaluator of a teacher that they absolutely try to figure things out, whether it's um, having to do with the work that they're creating for their students, um, making sure they fill up that 50 minutes or fill up that 90 minutes or whatever they've got. Um, making sure that they handle at least or they attempt to handle classroom management on their own first before I step in and my stepping in should not be viewed as a rescue that they can call on all the time but um, a good principal will give some kind of coaching will give some type of uh, encouragement so that they can do something different the next time um, yeah, you can you can certainly fall into that where you depend too heavily, and and that does not make you appear to be a leader. It makes you look like a, a mistaken hire. Mm -hmm. it, there is a balance there, and I'm glad you asked that because I've had both where where there are people who ask for too much help, and I really wonder if they have what it takes to be in the room by themselves. Um, whereas there are others who don't ask enough help, and they end up uh, drowning. Uh, and overworked and overwhelmed and many times have, have left the teaching profession because they really just didn't ask for help. So, I think um, sometimes more experienced teachers or assistant principals and principals might stick their head in your door and say, hey, is everything okay? <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and you might want to say, well, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I, 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 crying. Do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do need help. Actually, can you watch my class for just a minute? <laughs> <laughs> I need to go throw up. Well, thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. Can I say one more thing? Of I would course. love that. One piece of advice I would also give is that, um, as you said, Glenetta, when you kind of lean on other people, when you ask questions, you find those veteran teachers that you really, you recognize that adults come in all shapes and sizes <laughs> and all types of attitudes. Mm -hmm. So it could be that the person you seek advice for, um, there may be some expected loyalty that you have towards them mm -hmm. just in the realm of politics because I was the one who helped you out that first week. And the, you may find that their vision for teaching, their mission in teaching, their attitude towards students is diametrically opposed to what you went into teaching to, to create. And so there takes some courage there too to distance yourself from those negative voices as not to say it'll happen, but trying to find people who are like-minded, um, have the same mind as you regarding students and learning. So um, it's, it's just kind of hit or miss because the person across the hall might be great. Mm -hmm. They may not be. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is really good advice. As far as like other staff, I try to listen a lot. My first year at my uh, newest school, 
I tried not to get too involved in the office politics, the gossip that sometimes happens mm -hmm. in school. Uh, unless I saw it with my own eyes, I, I don't believe it, uh, mm -hmm. whether a kid says it or a teacher says it or an administrator says it. I just try to form my own opinions. And that's, I think that would be really hard to have done in my first year of teaching. But as I get older and understand how the society of a school works, uh, I, I just try to listen, you know, mm -hmm. who really has the power here? Who are the teachers looking towards for advice? And who are the voices who are... Uh, not lifted up as much as they should be and yeah. things like that. Yeah, and I think I think it's very easy coming to any new environment regardless of what it is, whether you're starting your first day at Burger King or as a teacher or whatever, you have a tendency to doubt everything you think and believe what other people say. There's no easy way around this. There yeah. really isn't. You have to just listen and, and kind of study people and study how they work and how they talk about their work because you're coming to this, I'm trusting as a new teacher with a really positive attitude typically, or at least optimistic, but you also know that there's a lot you don't know. And so for someone, many times people, veteran teachers, or even people just a few years in, will speak with tremendous confidence about mm -hmm. how things are, how people are, or how to approach certain people. And uh, it can really lead you astray. And so you really just have to listen with a real filter um, and kind of get different opinions and not just individual opinions. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, that's something I try to tell my students a lot in any discussion, that confidence does not mean correctness. So mm. you do have to make that mm -hmm. judgment for yourself. Well, thank you so much. Thanks sure. a lot. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> Credits. Can I get some extra credit? That's my song. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by your hosts, Lynetta Krauss and Margaret Lytle. It's executive produced by Amanda Hutchinson. And special thanks to Stephen Sipple for his insight on navigating office politics. Bye! Bye.